It's a, yeah, it's. I didn't knock the wind out of me, but I came down pretty hard. When I went down, I was maybe 40. Yeah. That makes a big difference, too. Yeah, I'm 70. Yeah. It's one of those where you just go through a stage. Okay. Okay. Nothing really hurts bad, bad. Yeah, really bad. Yeah, my body was real sore. It just kind of all hurts. Oh. And then, of course, of course, I got up and I said, oh, man, I came down on one side on my, my butt and hit the concrete really hard. And then, then the back. And I held my head up so I didn't smack my head, back of my head. Otherwise, I would have smacked the back of my head. That's where you sit there and you go, okay, it's not too bad. Then you finally get up. You start to move around. I said, man, that, that really hurts back there in the hip. But I don't think I broke anything. Yeah. We went out to lunch a few minutes later. It's like, okay, then my back began to wake up. Yeah. And it started hurting. Yeah. When did you call? Thursday. Oh. <laughs> On to... But it's like, oh, it was stupid. Well, yeah, when you do That's something like that. That's just stupid. Yeah. You know what bothers me? When I go to fall out, I keep forgetting. Just don't go. The first thing I do to catch myself in falling is the one I broke. Yeah. Yeah, how did I manage to be so stupid? Yeah. 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 And then it just comes back when my dad used to say, son, when you're dumb, you got to be tough. Yeah. Well, what's, what's it? Life is tough. When you're yeah. dumb, life is really tough. <laughs> yeah. gets <It's> tougher. <sighs> so, it's good to be in the air conditioning. I was digging palmettos out of the ground is what I was oh. doing. So, it was fun mm. stuff. I was already tired. That's work. Yes, it is. They fight. What's that? They fight. Especially the ones that are, that have nice razor edges on them. Oh. <laughs> They're vengeful. <laughs> okay, so we'll pick up again. We're in Matthew 20. We're going <clears> to <throat> probably finish through Matthew and start a little bit into Luke because there's some things in Luke that's not in Matthew. But let's pick up with Matthew 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee the sons of thunder, came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request to him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said, she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. So what was the parable we studied last week that was just before this? You've slept since, I've slept several times since then. Anybody remember? No, but he, she, he wasn't going to get her sons on the right hand and one on the left. Yeah. Because he, he told his disciples that's what would happen to them. Well, it was the parable of the workers in the field that came in and the first part of the day, the middle morning, the late afternoon, and just before the sunset. And they all got the same reward. So what's she doing? Trying to push to the front, of the, line. To push to the, front of the line to get the big reward. It's kind of like, okay, 
And, and uh, Nora already talked about, what does mom want? Take my sons and move them to the head of the class. Hmm? It's a, it's a mom thing. It's a mom thing. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. So you see his focus has changed a little. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right, sit on my left, is not mine to give, but it is for those whom have been prepared, who it has been prepared by my Father. So who does he direct his answer, actually answer to the question to? Huh? Yeah, to, to, I think James and John. <laughs> he's, he's, he says, you going you be able to drink the cup? What's the cup? Well, that was, that was a Passover. Well, I don't think that's the cup he's talking about here. What do you think the cup is? Yeah. Okay, in Matthew 26, he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee. So this is when he goes in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the night of him being arrested. He began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He went a little beyond the wind, fell on his faith, and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So who decides where people in the kingdom sit and why? Speaks the Father. Speaks the Father. This is when I pulled out of Acts. And you, yeah, but to me, it came from a perspective to say, understand what, what, he's talk, what he's really talking about. And this is when he was, this, this is Stephen. And this is in the stoning, actually when Paul was there holding the cloaks of those that eventually stoned him. So you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit. You were doing just as your fathers did. So Stephen's kind of given pieces of the same speech that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost, but the outcome is totally different. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced coming of the righteous one, those whose, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. That's the different outcome. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said to him, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So there's now reinforcement what Jesus was saying is, my father decides who's going to be at his right hand and left hand. Matter of fact, Jesus is at the right hand, so you already have the left hand filled up with the Father. And God decides who's going to be around in his royal area in heaven. Jesus doesn't because Jesus is a servant. That's what he came to do, was he came to serve. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice. So that kind of reinforces it, but I'm sure those guys were scratching their head going, huh, what? 
So they still don't understand the kingdom. They still don't understand what it's going to be like. They're still scratching their head. And hearing this, so this continues on with thought. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great man exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So what's wrong with the response of the ten? It's, it's, it's driven by jealousy. He's yeah. He's telling them to knock it off. Yeah. I mean, they're going, they're, I'm sure one of them thought in mind, says, why didn't I ask? Yeah. Where's my mom? You know? Yeah. <laughs> who's who's going to speak up and be my advocate? And it's like, you're looking at your advocate. It's going to be to the Father. Right there with you. But, of course, they're... They're jealous because they're all positioning. And it was James and John. And the trio, I'm sure Peter's saying, how how come you left me out? Because it was always Peter, James, and John that were the inner circle to the inner circle. Because when he went to the Mount Transfiguration, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, those are the three he took with him. So why is Jesus first in the kingdom? He's the son of the Father. He's the son of the Father. How much of a servant was he? The ultimate servant. The ultimate servant, but 100%. Every waking thought, breath that he had was to serve. It, the culmination was the sacrifice and his resurrection. But that was the father who re- resurrected him. But yeah, that's why he was first is because he became last. He, he was last in everything he did in his life. His father was first. Because of that, he's first. Jesus spoke to them again in parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So there's that phrase that's in there significantly, to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized slaves and mistreated them and killed them. So what's the wedding feast? I like to do these in the parables. It's the same. Let's take it apart. What does it represent? Huh? Kingdom of heaven. The kingdom. Okay. Those that have been invited into the kingdom. Who's the king and who's the son? God the Father is the Father, and Jesus is the Son. The wedding feast 
What is the church in relationship to Christ? Huh? Yeah, the church is the bride. And he's the groom. So you see the wedding feast fitting in. Who are those invited first? The Jews. Okay. Who are the slaves? Those would be those. Excuse me? Gentiles. Gentiles. Actually, we aren't to the Gentiles yet. It's the servants. It's those who are trying to serve that are inviting out those who are trying to bring in all those that he sent. And part of those servants would be the prophets. Because this particular point, who did, he, who did Christ, when he came, say he came to? The Jews. Remember, when he, remember the Gentile that was in Tyre? And she said, hey, my, my daughter's sick. And he says, I didn't come to give my bread to the dogs. And Jesus said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table. Okay. And he was impressed with that. But this is here talking to the Jews. And the slaves that went out were the prophets. They went out to invite them in. In other words, we're going to try and straighten you out what you're doing wrong, okay? You're being told the wrong thing. You're being led in the wrong direction. This is what you need to do. And they killed him. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main highway, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. What happened to those who were invited first, and does that relate to any real events? There's some prophecy rolled up in this. Okay. How's that? Oh, thanks, Steve. There's some prophecy rolled up into this one. Steve, Steve, help me out there. I usually don't get accused of being talking too low. I'll be 71 next week. Yeah. Well, this, that's true, this week. Yeah, I'll be 74. I'm, I'm a whippersnapper. Back to the question. Who were invited first? We talked about who was invited first, right? The Jews. Any real events that occurred that could be prophecy here? Somewhere around 70 A.D. No, the church was established around 30, 31 A.D. 
Huh? So are you speaking about Peter going out to the Gentiles? Nope. Nope. We're still talking about it's, the king was enraged, sent his armies and destroyed the murderers and set their city on fire. That's prophetic. What happened in 70 AD? Jerusalem was razed to the ground. The Jews were taken into captivity. Judaism, as it existed, was destroyed. They weren't just taken, because every other captivity, what happened when they went in captivity in Egypt? They stayed as a coherent, cohesive group. What happened when they went into captivity in Babylon? They stayed as a coherent, cohesive group. And this one, uh-uh. They weren't. Same thing. Did all those who invited first perish? No, that was an easy question. Is it a yes or no? You had a 50-50 chance of getting it right. No, because there was the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added. Those 3,000 were all Jews, as well as the 12 that were sitting there talking were all Jews. So not all those who were invited first perished. That 3,000 was just men, so it was probably closer to maybe 6,000, maybe 8,000. Um, it was a busy day. <laughs> so who, now we'll come to that question. I think it's what he already answered. Who was invited next to the wedding feast? The Gentiles. Okay. He turned from the Jews to the Gentiles. Okay. And you kind of see that a little bit, but I always kind of thought it was an interesting balance between the apostles. There was 12. How many apostles were to the Gentiles, and how many apostles were there to the Jews? Well, there was one. There was one to the Gentiles. There was 11 to the Jews. He was still trying to get to the Jews, okay? All the others were still focused on the Jews. The only one who was really focused on the Gentiles was Paul. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was there not dressed in the wedding. So now it's the kingdom's been established. People are in the kingdom or trying to get in the kingdom. He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, in the place where is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So what does a man not dressed in wedding clothes represent? Yeah. Huh? The devil. No, he's not the devil. But it's kind of along those lines. It's more along the lines of someone who's there, but they didn't do anything to try and follow Christ in their life. They wanted to get in the kingdom, but they didn't do anything. They were selfish. They, they focused on themselves, okay? So they weren't dressed in Christ. They were dressed in themselves. And, and if we're dressed in ourselves, 
We're sinful, right? It's pretty ugly. If we're dressed in Christ, we're beautiful, okay? So there's the contrast that he's talking about. So what was Jesus' point with this parable? Don't mean to oversimplify, but you've got to be ready. You have to be ready. And you have to fulfill the requirements. You, you have to be there, and you have to, lack of a better word, pay homage to Christ. In other words, you have to be the servant who's living for Christ. You have to come to the wedding feast prepared for the groom, for the wedding. If you're not prepared, you're going to get thrown out. What's the preparation? The gospel. You die to yourself. You're buried. You're resurrected as a child of God. That's the preparation. That's the dressing that he's talking about. And I'm sure they're scratching their head. On that same day, so this is a good one. I, I always like this one. On that same day, Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as, as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left to his wife, to his brother, so also the second and the third and down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. I so, gotten in that line. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's, after the first two or yeah, three, yeah, 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 just, talk about talk about having this. A bad number on you. The widow is the black widow. Okay. So how's their hypocrisy exposed by this question? But who's asking the question? The Sadducees. They, don't, they already don't believe. They already don't believe in a resurrection anyhow. So they're asking a question about the resurrection. They don't believe in it. I mean, you can, you can kind of, it's like, okay, you guys, this is pretty pathetic opportunity to try and discredit Christ, because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to discredit him. So they're asking this question, and it's about what heaven's like, which is why I included it. What law are the Sadducees leveraging? Is it their own law, or is it the law of God? Oh. It's one of those books we really study a lot. It's in Deuteronomy. <laughs> Dry book. When brothers live together, there's a requirement. And one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside of the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her for himself as wife and perform the duty of husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother so the name will not be blotted out from Israel. So that's what they're quoting. So they've quoted something. How 
true to the spirit of what is in the law is their question. Not even close, is it? It's totally contrived. Well, this is, yeah, this is the carry on the name. It's not, it's, it has nothing to do about heaven. It has nothing to do about any of that. So it is totally twisted trying to catch him. That's why I put it in here. But Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. So the scriptures, they didn't understand what was in De Deuteronomy. Either they didn't understand it and he was being kind or they intentionally twisted it, which is what I think they did, and he just kind of overlooked it. For in the resurrection, they are neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So how are we like angels in the resurrection? Yeah, it, it, it's not the same conventional relationship we have here in this world. It's it's a spiritual one. You're in spiritual bodies. It's a different relationship between us. Much closer relationship, but it's different. It's different in the fact that it doesn't have the sexual aspect to it. It's quite different. So what does Jesus mean when he says God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I said, I take it as you're either for God and you believe in Jesus and you're trying to live your life with him. I'm not sure whether he's, he's doing that. The dead means are the ones that are not with him. Yeah. The, 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 we had, what helped me one time, um, Don Page was teaching a class, it was in Romans, and it was the difference between dead and living. And if you think of living as being conjoined or associated with you, someone, and being dead as being separated, he's the God of the living. Those are who are joined with him. He's not the God of the dead, those who are separated from him. And I think he's kind of making, it's not a play on words, but He's looking at it from a different perspective as far as life and death. Because the first death and the second death that's talked about in the Bible is talking about that. One's physical death, one's spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. Physical death is separation from this world to the next world. So it's, it's, it's kind of a handy way to look at it. But you've got to look at what he's talking about to say, he's the, he's the God of the living. But he's the God of those who are joined to him. Those that reject him, he rejects them. I think that's what he's talking about. Is 
towards that point of those being joined to him? Yeah, yeah. those who are faithful, those who, who followed God, and I think that's what he's trying to say is, they're the living because of their faith. He is, and, and some of the crowds were astonished, or the crowds were astonished. Some of them were beginning to understand it, but I think the Pharisees just kind of went, huh? Because right after this, the Pharisees jump in and says, okay, we're gonna get them. Who should you pay taxes to? That's their very next question, which I didn't include. So how well do you think they understood his answer? They, they were. I mean, here you've got the spiritual leaders, the Sadducees, and Christ just basically stumped them totally with the answer that he had. He came up with an answer that they looked and they went, wow, we'd have never thought of that. He knows what he's talking about. Whereas I'm sure when they had the teachings from the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it was like, this is pretty dry, but it doesn't show any insight doesn't show any real understanding of what God means for us. So, into another one. The kingdom of heaven will be com comparable or comparable to ten virgins. We've all gone through this one before. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. When the foolish took their lamps, they did not take extra oil with them. But the prudent ones took oil and flasks with their lamps. This is a follow-on to the parable, or, or it's the same thought, it's the parable of the wedding feast, in some ways. So what do the group of ten virgins represent? Well, actually, all the people here in the world. Some people are prepared. Some people don't get prepared. What reference is Jesus making to the five being foolish? My wife will answer this one. No. Psalms to the overseer on disease. An instruction by David. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They have done corruptly, yea, they have done abominable iniquity. There is none doing good. So when he says these five are foolish, that's a pretty strong statement. It's not like, oh, they just don't really think very. So no. There is no God. I don't have to do anything. So he's, he's making a point to, to the Jewish audience, and that's who he's talking to. They got it. They got what he was saying. And I left this in italics because I had more questions.
So what reference is Jesus making when referring to the five being prudent or wise? Some, of the, some say prudent, some of the interpretations say wise. It's the Greek word. Phronimus Phronimus is the word that's in Greek. It means thoughtful, sagacious. There's a word that comes up a lot in speech. Sagacious or discreet, applying a cautious character. So it's somebody who's thoughtful, who thinks ahead, who's, who's thinking more than just for today and what I've got. It's someone, and sagacious, I had to look up. I looked, I, I said, I gotta look this word up. I've never seen it before in my life. Having or shown keen mental discernment or good judgment. So, so he's contrasting between these two to say somebody who believe, doesn't believe in God, says there is no God and write that, that's these five. And the person who is wise and discerning and understands about God, has insight to God, that's the comparison. This is a big comparison between these 10. Much bigger than, you know, may really kind of meet us because we don't maybe put the same value on foolish versus prudent. But what he's saying here is it's a big difference between these 10, the five and the five. While the groom was delaying, they all became drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there finally was a shout. Behold, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. But the foolish virgins said to the prudent ones, give us some of your oil, there's the first bell, because our lamps are going out. However, the prudent ones answered, no, there most certainly would not be enough for us and you too. Instead, the merchants go to go to the merchants and go instead to the merchants, merchants, and buy some for yourselves. Of course, it's midnight. So, who's the groom? Jesus. Jesus. That's easy. What does midnight represent? Huh? Judgment day. What are the foolish ones, the prudent ones, to do? What do we give them oil? But it's like, give us, give us some of the redemption you've got. Give us some of the grace you've got. We're not ready. Remember, this is all about being ready. This, like I said, the, the other parable was some were not dressed, and the other ones were. The one who prepared the wedding feast actually provided wedding clothes to the people that they brought in. He could have been dressed in those clothes. He just didn't put them on. These were not prepared. They just didn't do what needed to be due because they were foolish, because they didn't believe in God. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came. I wonder when they went to get the oil. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Yet later, the other virgins also came, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, because you do not know the day nor the hour. I went off on a tangent on this one. Who will be taken first at the end time, and who will be taken last, and how does that relate to the parable? He'll take the parable. Hmm? 
Hmm? You're thinking? Who's going to be taken first at the end time? Who's going to be taken last at the end of time? Yeah. I'm just talking about this. The other message was the one we just had about the wedding feast. But pulled out a couple of things. He talked about it in the very end of this one. Be on the alert because you do not know the day nor the hour. And he goes a little bit broader in this when he's, when he's in Jerusalem to talk about it. But about the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah when the flood came. For as in those days, the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man be. At that time, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. So now you see the reference back to that parable as far as the five and the five. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know the day your Lord is coming. But be sure of that, this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready as well the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not know, think he will. So this is, this is more teaching on what he was talking about. And the apostles had a much better look at it later on. They really understood what he was talking about. The time he's talking about, they're trying to say, well, when's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem? When's going to be, and he's not talking about that in that one. He's talking about the destruction at the end of time. But Peter had a better perspective on it later. But do not overlook this, this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works and all that are done will be exposed. So he's talking about that, and I'll just talk about the one in Revelation. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the white cloud was the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling out with a loud voice to him, who sat on the cloud, Put your sickle and reap, for the hour has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle of the earth, and the earth was reaped. The next section in Revelation talks about the second group that's being reaped. The first group here is the five virgins who had their oil. The next section in Revelation is talking about the five who didn't. And I've run out of time. So thank you for your attention.